Hi, this is Jason, and welcome to Episode 5 of the Filmography Club Podcast. This show being Episode 5 means that today we're talking about Paul Thomas Anderson's fifth film, the critically adored, towering cinematic achievement, 2007's There Will Be Blood. Upon its release, it was immediately hailed as one of the young century's finest films, earning eight Academy Award nominations and winning two, one for Best Actor for Daniel Day-Lewis and one for Best Cinematography for Robert Ellswick, who had so far shot all of PTA's films. It remains very well regarded amongst critics and audiences alike, and has become something of a cultural touchstone. This film being the capital letters big deal that it is, I decided to try something new for this episode and bring in not one, but two guests to talk about this monster. My first guest you may remember from the last episode, that's episode four, Punch Drunk Love, Caleb Dirks. Caleb is a filmmaker and photographer based here in Nashville. He's worked on multiple projects with local writer-director Drew Maynard, and their work together has had successful festival runs, including for their film, The Saurus, which screened at the esteemed South by Southwest Film Festival. Other common collaborators include Dicey Wildman and Jennifer Barnier of Daisy Dukes Films. Amongst other projects, Daisy Dukes Films produced Untitled, a short written and directed by Caleb, which premiered at the Defy Film Festival this year. Caleb also hosts a quarterly short film appreciation night called Salute Your Shorts, which is a gathering of the local film community started by Dicey Wildman and Jason Gigax. Also on the show today is Drew Hammond. I asked Drew to write me a short bio for this introduction, and he did exactly that. It reads, creative director at an ad agency, family man, amateur woodworker, milkshake enthusiast. Those are all impressive credentials, but I still feel he's selling himself a little short. I found him to be clever, thoughtful, and insightful, and I'm sure that you will too. We had a wonderful conversation about one of our favorite films, so now I bring you our talk about There Will Be Blood. All right, episode five, Filmography Club, There Will Be Blood. I'm Jason Cavanis, and I've got two guests today. We're doing something new. Caleb Dirks has returned. Uh, you remember Hello. him from last episode. Our, um, oh God, what was the name Bunch of that damn Drunk movie? Love. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, today we're, we're adding a new guy. Introduce yourself. I'm Drew Hammond. Um, yeah, this is my first time, first podcast. Yeah. yeah. Exciting. Welcome. Welcome. I'm Thank glad you. to have you. All right. So we're here to talk about maybe the big one. This may be Paul Thomas Anderson's. It's certainly considered to be his masterpiece, I think. I think critically, that's the consensus on this one. Boogie Nights might rival it, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, man. this is the big yeah. one. I mean, this is the one where he wrote a part <laughs> Boogie for... Boogie Nights Magnolia. I love the... Oh, man. Yeah. But, and you, you, I agree. Okay. Let's keep going. Yeah, no, no, no. That's fine. No, Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I do... Know, yeah, critically it is. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's way up there. But also, and I, to me, like, it, it, it was a departure from what he had been. It felt very different to yeah. me, at least. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I feel like this is um, the first film in the current uh, phase that he seems to be going through right now. His he first, finally uh, played by the rules. His so. first capital <laughs> Hollywood. C. He's finally playing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the capital C cinema movie, you know, yes. where it's not yes. just fun and games where a lot of these yes, films were. Exactly. But you know what? Before we get into that, guys, breaking news, Paul Thomas Anderson's new film just got announced right before we went on. What? This is per The Hollywood Reporter. Paul Thomas Anderson sets 1970s high school movie for 2020 production. Looks like it's going to be another ensemble. It's going to be about a kid who's in high school and also is a child actor going back to the San Fernando Valley, bringing it back to where it started. 
Okay. Yeah, it is untitled so far, but oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I felt like I had to mention that right here at the top. Oh, I love. I mean, that. It, we just found that out right before we, we got in here. Yeah. Urgent news. Yeah. Well, by the time people hear this, this is going to be old news. Oh but, yeah, yeah. But it's fun that we were here right now. Sure. Has he done the child actor thing a lot? I know Magnolia. Magnolia that I, character. Was that, that kid wasn't a, an actor though. Yeah, was I guess he, you're right. He was, he was a whiz kid. Whiz kid. Yeah. The whiz kid. A little different. Yeah. In this movie, obviously, we have. H.W. We have H.W. So let's set the table. Paul Dano feels like a kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's set the table here. We've got this is There Will Be Blood, the fifth movie. It's The length is right back up. We're, we're at two hours, 38-ish minutes, somewhere in there. I was almost late getting over here. It just wouldn't stop. Yeah. The movie yeah. kept going. <laughs> and he wrote a part for the man who's widely considered to be maybe the greatest actor of our generation. Oh, my gosh. And yes. it's in a role that's a lot of folks consider to be his defining role. I kind of agree. Yeah. I, I agree. mean, I haven't seen all of Daniel Day-Lewis's films, but I don't know. If, yeah. I never really so saw well I never really saw anybody talk like that before. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And I wasn't around in whatever year that right. took place, but Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a very interesting way of delivering. There there's some theories on where they took that voice from, is that correct? Oh, like the, do you tell? I believe it was like the I can't even remember who it was right now. But it was a film director out in Hollywood, mm-hmm. but they kind of based it off of... Uh, an actual guy, like an actual yeah, director yeah, yeah. from back in the day? His, Is it like his, one of the old golden era type Yeah, guys? exactly. Okay, yeah, but, yeah I can yeah, see that. that. I know, that voice is... Where is that guy from? Yeah, it's it haunts me. It just sticks with you, yeah, yeah. for sure. The way he moves his mouth around, like the way he processes his thoughts with just like the grumpiness of his lips. It's just like, oh, it's terrifying. Yeah. I feel like that totally (laughs) informs that voice, too. I don't know. All right. Let's let's, let's set the table here. So the the premise of the movie, we've got uh, Daniel Day-Lewis as Daniel Plainview, who is a silver prospector at the beginning of the film, 1898, the opening sequence takes place in. Uh, it's basically like a silent film for like the first 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah, 14 it's minutes great. in is the first. Yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah the yep. first words are spoken. So he's a silver prospector. He seems to be doing fairly well at that. And then uh, the oil boom starts happening. Automobiles start happening. People need oil. He gets in on the ground floor, starts an oil company, starts building derricks, starts pulling oil out. He starts basically just uh, screwing people out of their property. He does. They don't realize how valuable the property that they're sitting on is. So he just kind of accumulates all of this, makes some enemies, and it becomes a uh, man versus man type situation. Him and Eli Sunday, the preacher, who yeah. I, I don't know who I hate more uh, as far as characters <laughs> go. I, I really hate both of these guys. But also just the genuine, the general theme of the movie, I suppose it's sort of the story of America. Daniel Plainview seems to represent the self-made man, early America. Well, not super early America, I guess. Late 1800s is when the film starts. It Mm -hmm. ends in 1927. Epic movie, you know, another 29 years goes by in the whole film. So, yeah, I I think it's got something to do with the story of America, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, We see capitalism run amok and taking advantage of the planet and all of these things are ownership. Like this is mine. This is mine. Nobody else gets this. And uh, very competitive. Um, yeah, I think Plainview pretty much creates his own bed as far as it's it's him against himself. So it's like him against the world. He has totally made his own enemies. But yeah, I love the uh, there's a, there's that huge religion conversation happening also where sure. it's kind of yeah they layer that that the. Uh, 
capitalism and, and religion cozying up and playing in the sandbox together. Exactly. Big and theme. they're kind of a mirror of each other in, in, in many points. They are. There don't seem to be any heroes in this movie. There's huh. there's innocent bystanders. Maybe H.W.? Was H.W. He, is sort of an innocent bystander. He kind of scares me, too, because in the end, he's like, hey, I'm going down to Mexico with my new bride, and I'm going to start drilling up the earth down there. Well, let's let's talk about who H.W. is. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, sorry. Close to the beginning yeah. of the film. So, bastard in a basket. Yeah, bastard in a basket. That's right. <laughs> Remember that? Uh, his actual body, he's a tiny little, he's an infant at the beginning of the film. Mm. One of Daniel's employees dies in an accident while working down the well, and there's no one to take care of the kid. So Daniel takes care of him, but not really out of the goodness of his own heart, but because he wants to project a family man right. type image yeah. uh, in order. He's a huckster. And that he's, comes later. I think that was one of the things that I loved about the way they, they create, that Paul Thomas Anderson created that character is that. You don't know he's uh, low life from the beginning. No, you, they they sort of let you kind of find that out gradually. So yeah. at the beginning, you you don't know that there's anything nefarious with him adopting this kid. That and I'm not completely sure. You know, I think maybe even in that time, his motivations might have been slightly better than you know he lets on later in his life. Maybe his intentions did have a little bit perhaps. of good to them. And he just that, you soured know? over time, perhaps. Yeah. He, do, he does talk about it. He's like, I hate people more and more every day. That's true. You and know, what, There's he, a gap of time, too, right? From when they, they yeah. christen him with oil, the little baby. Right. Yeah, Which yeah. is also yeah. funny. I was like very, very religious that mm-hmm. christen, yes, absolutely. And then he's all of a sudden like 12 or something like that. Sure, yep. so. sure. And then it jumps ahead another, what, 15 years or so, 13 After years, something that. like that. It jumps yeah. to 1927 when he's a, a full-grown man. Uh, and Paul Dano has an age today. <laughs> Paul Dano has an age today. You're right. Yeah. Man, uh, elfish. Seeing it now, I was like, oh, that oh, doesn't make, make sense. Oh, okay. Oh, well. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. that What did uh, you guys think about the, the twin aspect of him having a twin brother? Um, was, was that relevant that they were twins? I mean, I understand what... what his, I, I can't remember his brother's name. Paul. 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 Named okay. after, because I remember Paul Dano... And uh, okay. Daniel Day Lewis, both are named. Their characters okay. are named after them. And originally, Paul Dano was only cast as the brother Paul. Got Someone it. else had Eli, and then yeah. that guy, for whatever reason, didn't work out. So they just said, "Yeah, let's just make him his brother." I just, I kind of was always. Is, I left the movie wondering. I liked that element, that little betrayal at the beginning that you find out later that mm-hmm. he, you know, yeah, is it a Cain and Abel off. thing? Was it? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. His dad's name is Abel. That's ah, wow. That's like <laughs> okay. That was kind of scared me in the fool, face. Fool, Abel. Yeah. You're okay. a fool. Yeah. Paul is. Uh, yeah, Eli is yelling at his father, telling him how stupid he was That's for right. selling the farm. That's right. And even gets like physically. Aggressive. Oh yeah, he was abusing his father. <laughs> yeah, physically abusing him. Yeah. Which you know, I'm fine with because the father beat the daughter i they learned heard this, about that yeah we never see a, it in on on, on camera right but. it was a learned language for sure yeah, it was just family. horrible people treating each other horribly for a lot of the movie <laughs> yeah so i was fine with eli doing that but i'm also fine when eli gets his at the end oh my gosh the the promise of the title <laughs> there will be coming blood. true at the very yeah. end. We don't really see much blood in the whole movie. Like when that drill bit hits that guy, we see a red mist really quickly. Uh, yeah, I think right. that's blood about it. Clothes. The rest of the film, we don't really get blood until uh, the Eli spills <laughs> a lot of blood. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is the first film that Paul Thomas Anderson worked on with Johnny Greenwood, who is, oh. uh, of course, a member of Radiohead. Amazing. 
Yeah, yeah, and I think that partnership lasts. Uh, I think it's still going strong. I believe right? so. I think they're still working oh, that's together. That's cool. Mm. Yeah, <clears throat> that score kind of that acted as its own character for me, oh. and probably is what made the movie so powerful to me sure. and made it so memorable. Yeah, one thing I dig about Paul Thomas Anderson's movies is he'll. This is a movie that's a drama on its surface, but he uses a lot of tropes or, or the mechanisms of horror in this film. Hmm. I mean, the the, the music, that opening Absolutely, shot the music when it is. when it it fades in and you see that, that desert landscape uh, and yeah. the it's just horror music that's playing. Those uh, <laughs> yeah. strings are just like yeah. swelling, and, and then it comes yeah. back at the very end of that sequence when the when he's dragging himself. Yeah, with a broken leg, and he, you realize he's got to go through miles and miles and miles yeah. of desert. And the camera pans back up, and you see that same vista, and that and it's like, oh, that's why yeah. this is scary because he's out here all alone. Like at first, grizzle. it's like, why, why are these mountains so scary? The music says, okay, this is scary, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, he is out there all alone with a broken leg. Like it's I saw, crazy. I listened to an interview with Quentin Tarantino, and he was talking about this. And I know I invoke Tarantino in every episode oh. of the season. <laughs> why it's not? kind of hard not to. They're both kind yeah. of all-tour rock star filmmakers, and they, they're friends, so it, this is fair. But he said that the brilliant thing about that opening sequence is not only that it's just you're, you're learning all sorts of information with no dialogue whatsoever, but when you realize that he broke his leg and that he dragged himself through miles and miles of desert, that could have been its own movie right there. That could have been, that could have been a movie all by itself. But the fact that he did that in Daniel's mind, it gives him the heroic right to mm. behave like the bastard that he behaves like for the rest of the film. Oh, I agree. I mean, him rubbing that mud on uh, Eli's face later in the movie is like, dude, you're like this preacher character. You've never been dirty a day in your life. Like yep. He's like, you get down here in the mud. See what it's like. Get yeah. dirty. Yeah. Feel this oil. <clears throat> this is the life I live. Sure. I never, you know? Yeah, I never but, thought too much about that. that, that fact that he had to... Yeah, how many miles that was? Yeah, he felt like he deserved everything that he got. I mean, he he was a hardworking guy. I mean, he was incredibly all, intelligent all aside, too. Very intelligent. Yeah, and, I mean, he was geologically incredibly smart. Like, yeah, a prospector. I mean, yeah, very physically able. Like him climbing up and down those ladders and everything. Yeah, so like, he feels like he's he's determined. entitled. He's entitled yeah. to everything that he he fucks out of other people. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, he's he worked a steamroller. He's gonna, yeah, nothing's gonna stop him. Mm-hmm. I think is what that that paints right there. He's a bowling ball. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree <laughs> with that. It cuts from him like pushing himself across the ground to him in the place, kind of smiling on the floor of the place as like the guys figuring out how much silver he probably found or what that little mine was worth that yeah. he like. And you notice he's eyeballing that guy to make sure that that dude doesn't pocket any of that stuff. And he's got <laughs> his rifle right there next to him within oh, yeah. arm's reach. Oh yeah. Even, even in a, even in a vulnerable position like that, he's still, you know, on the watch. He's watching these guys to make sure they're not trying to screw him out of his money. Yeah. There's Man, no what trust. What happened to him as a kid? <laughs> this guy has a serious trust deficit. Yeah, absolutely. Do they allude to it? There, there's something. He talks. He meets his brother eventually. Do they talk yeah. about his uh, childhood at all? Well, he's not his brother. Remember? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But his quote unquote brother, who had his brother's diary, so that helped with right, some of that. Right. Um, yeah. They. You know what? He just talks about siblings, and the okay. thing he says about the house is like, I don't even want to imagine that house. Like, mm. I, you know, right. 
I yeah. think I think it was a very ugly place. There's no mentions of the parents. Like it, it does. I mean, the dad died, and he doesn't really care. I mean, I don't think he had any connection with yeah. There's with anybody. Uh, I skimmed over the script. Uh, I didn't mm. didn't read it, but I skimmed over it. And the like the first thing I looked at it was like, oh, I don't recognize this scene at all. It's him talking to his fake brother about their father, and he said something about. Do you remember the scene where he said, you know, we'll get him liquored up and take him to the peach tree dance? Yeah. All right. He goes into that a little bit more, and he because that was a about, reference to something that they yeah. knew about growing up. That's that what he the figured brother, out, and the brother didn't recognize at all. Yeah. quote unquote, brother. Yeah, that's when he realized that this guy's I not got his that brother. This time, I did not get that the first time. I yeah, saw there's that movie. great shot of him in the water, just looking. Oh, he's <laughs> over him. It, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful shot. Yeah, yeah. But there's a scene. It, they go on in that scene that's in the script, not nice. in the, not okay. in the film itself, where he mentions, you know, like, oh yeah, basically he just basically says that he had sex that his fake brother had sex with some girl and he and daniel says something like yeah just like dad you know you're you're you were mm. definitely your father's son or something along those lines so he mentions the father at least once in the script but they throw it out by the time it actually hit the screen the apple probably didn't fall too far who's the actor that played his fake brother henry was his brother's name I what am, was that guy's name? I've sure. seen him in other stuff. I have, like, uh, is he in the assassination of Jesse James? I don't know. I've seen him in other things as well. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Dude's excellent. I was going to make a joke that we actually have one other uh, guest here, but uh, she's a female, so in honor of this movie, she won't have any dialogue in the podcast. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I think, I mean, just to go back, talking about the family, like the the mother isn't mentioned at all, but there's, I think, I can't remember how many minutes into the movie is that we see a woman, and it's like the wife of a guy that yep. he's trying to sell a well to. I think it's to. Mrs. Sunday, or is that right? Okay. It might be, or it might be another. Mrs. Sunday is in it. And landowner, and it, and it's and she's like so hardened, so bitter. She's like, "What's in it for us?" You know, right, essentially. Right. And it's sure. just like, was that's that about- in the when when uh, Daniel is finally they they kind of show him pitching everything to the new town that he he wants to come in and do all this stuff. Is There's that- oh yeah, there it, it's like right after, but yeah, that scene too. Obviously, the townspeople. There's okay. finally women represented. Yeah, it's def. It's a story about fathers and brothers. Yeah. And kind of hating each other and just killing each other. (laughs) So I watched the movie last night with closed captioning on to make sure that I got all the dialogue. And I noticed in that first scene where he sits down to that in that town and he does his pitch. Ladies and gentlemen, if I say I'm an oil man, you will agree. And when everyone erupts and it just keeps the camera stays right there on a close up of him and you hear oh he's in a big room with a lot oh, of people yeah. and all hell's breaking loose and everyone's yelling a lot of that dialogue is someone saying shut your woman up sit your oh, woman yeah. down so, oh wow it's a woman who's trying to protest all of this yeah and someone is yelling shut your woman up sit that woman down maybe it's just about the times maybe the lack of i mean i'm not trying to bend over backwards for paul thomas anderson if he didn't write a a, i I think it's intentionally a man's story it's about competition it's about ego it's about taking advantage of it's in the new what the the west had just (laughs) been settled or it's in the process of being settled and it's it's a rough world out there it's it's also about a couple of frauds yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. like you got you got the preacher fraud, and then you got Daniel, who's a fraud father. 
who who's selling himself as this family man mm-hmm. because yeah. he feels like that is what people will trust him for, mm-hmm. and that was what legitimizes him as a trustworthy businessman. But right. it's all it's all bullshit. And he's screwing over people like he's buying up land that right. they don't realize how valuable yeah. it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he just he was the he found. I mean, he built a name for himself. I think at that beginning, I think it's really cool because it's like this is one man in a well by himself you really feel the danger of that the next time he's down in a hole it's with two other people and there's about four people up top and they're working for oil he has a team under him and the first the first one he like loses his tools down there right second one kind of like floods he talks about like in the the next town meeting he's like i'm an experienced man i won't lose my tools and you know and i won't you know he's like speaking from his own experiences and he's learned and he's gotten better and he continues to learn and get better and like build bigger. He learns how to build an oil derrick. It almost right. seems like he designed it himself. Yeah, like, and drawing it on that. Uh, you know. Yeah, so it's like this man is genius and he's I, changing the world. But I think there are some people that see it as like, whoa, this is this isn't the best thing to be. He's happening. diabolical. Yeah. I kind of <laughs> love that. I, I didn't think of, you mentioned that he starts off in a hole. Like that's the beginning where yeah. he starts off, and then we see where he ends up in this mansion at the end of the story. But there's something kind of interesting about yeah, that that origin that he starts off underground. Yeah, mm-hmm. kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all by himself too. They make a point of when it uh, we get that title card where it says 1898 mm-hmm. in those beautiful, yeah. creepy looking uh, <laughs> thank font. Yeah, thanks you know, for mentioning that. Those haunched. letters are terrible. He's on his haunches. He's the like black on his letter. feet, but yeah. he's, he's squatted over and he, the wind is whipping across the desert and he's drinking coffee or something out of it. And, you know, yeah. No dialogue at all, but it's just, uh, just highlights how alone he is out there. The audio and all of that is so beautiful. You it just is. Yeah, hear the metal against rock i don't know it's such great yeah. it's so artistically done and uh you notice he goes back to the, the pickaxe when he's digging the grave <sighs> yeah after he murders fake henry oh right first thing he reaches he doesn't use a shovel he goes to the pickaxe <laughs> and he yeah uses that. yeah when you see that it's kind of like was that a warning shot and it's like oh no that was straight through his head i, I did not know that he killed him at first i thought that that was a warning shot yeah no. and that's like oh no that was no, that was in the head. That was his final squeak. He's not talking anymore. Yeah. 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 That's, uh, at that point, I think that's when, as an audience, you've, you've now completely lost hope. You, mm-hmm. Now you know where this movie's going. Yeah. Like, and this is a train straight to hell. Like, <laughs> once he murders his brother, who says to him, he's like, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm just trying to help you. Something along yeah, those lines. Let me up and I'll walk away. And, yeah. You know, I'm your felt, friend. I felt differently. I'm your friend. I'm your friend. I'm just trying to help you. Yeah. yeah. Daniel. Daniel. I'm your friend. I'm not trying to hurt you. Never. Just survive. No! No!
I felt differently the second time I watched it, but that first time, I kind of felt like he was justified. This person was lying to him and deceiving him and trying to, sure. you know? I, 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 I guess too, you're right. I wasn't I too do, upset. Okay, I do feel he was justified. But I think after I saw the whole like, character arc, then I realized, okay, this man is really only out for himself, and, and so was uh, Henry. Also, yeah, to yeah. a degree. The scene where they're at the whorehouse and he's yeah. coming to him like, "Give me some money. Can I have some money?" And, and it's kind of that thing too, where like sometimes these slime balls they're kind of uh, magnets for other slime balls, right? right? And so they just kind of draw corruption to them and these, you know, people that are yeah, other frauds, right? Daniel earned it though. I mean, he yeah, it was not <laughs> necessarily the most honest means by which he earned it. No, right? I mean, he. And he hated that in other people, too. If he saw anybody trying to take advantage of somebody else, oh, it made him so sure. mad. The scene where he threatens Abel, Abel Sunday, he threatens him indirectly by when he pulls the daughter Mary to him and mm-hmm. he says, do you like your new dress? You know, and Your father's not going to hit yeah. you anymore, is he? Yeah. And then you realize after the girl runs away, the father is right there right. listening. He was talking to the father. Oh, directly. What do you think his motivation was there? Was there a glimmer? Was that a glimmer of goodness? control? Okay. Control. Maybe control. Yeah. yeah, I think. I don't know that he was doing that Just to be a good man. I'm the alpha yeah. in this whole situation. Yeah. Everywhere I go. I mean, he was kissing Abel's ass when he sat down, that scene where he sits down at his dinner table, and he's not kissing his ass, but he's buttering the guy up. Mm. And he thinks he's negotiating with Abel. And then right, right. Right. he's not. He, once he realizes that he's negotiating with Eli, the framing changes. It's, it's wonderful. But, yeah. but back to the story was he treats Abel completely differently once he's got what he wants from him. Once mm-hmm. he's got that land, it's no. He alpha males him. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. Almost just because he can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think he also felt very judged by the church and the oh, Sunday yeah. family was, you know, very religious. And so I think once his son told him that Mary had been abused within that relationship by the the father, yeah, yeah, that made him really mad. He's like, I'm a better man than that. I'm not. And so I think he sees this opportunity to be the preacher and uh, not, not in a good sense. Yeah, he sees this opportunity to kind of preach on them or judge them or like yeah yeah just bring them down a peg yeah exactly and i kind of when i think of him when i think of daniel i feel like he wouldn't care if they're judging him he's he already sees the fraudulent nature of the church and and these people so yeah but it's probably just more like how can i bring them down a notch and that yeah. was that was a way to do it yeah yeah just a side note one of the the, the funniest moment i found in the movie was when Eli puts on that big show about sucking out the arthritis from that lady's oh, hands and oh, casting yeah. the ghost out of the yeah. church door. <laughs> Get out, And ghost. then everyone's leaving and shaking his hands, and he's you know doing the pleasantries. And then when he sees Daniel, he talks to him, and Daniel says, uh, that was a goddamn hell of a show you put on there. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I think there's a funny moment there. That line could be said at the end of the movie, too. That was when the hell well, of, the last line of the movie hell is great. Of a show. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm finished. I'm finished. I'm finished. I'm finished. Yeah. There's a really funny moment there. That, that's one of my favorite shots, too, because they put you in the POV of, of the devil. He's pushing you mm-hmm. out the door, which is kind of a weird feeling. And then doesn't he say something about the devil's left the building and then the cut to the next shot and it's Daniel standing yeah. in the church? Yeah, uh, I think you're right. And yeah. there's something there. He's like, oh, maybe yeah. Daniel's. Well, he's definitely the, the devil. 
only unbeliever in that building. Right. He's there with those lips so angry. He like, doesn't buy that shit for a second. No way. Sucking out the arthritis from that lady's yeah. hands. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're taking advantage of these people. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. So we, we talk about how Daniel uh, earned it with his, you know, just the effort and, and the determination. You know, he kind of earned his right to be an asshole. Uh, what do you feel about Eli? Do you feel like he's riding on coattails, or I mean, he's worked hard too. I mean, he's—I love that question. Just sort of in a different way. Yeah, hmm. that is. A good it's question. more of a, a, a uh, deceiving people is kind of his goods. And I don't material. know if he consciously thinks he's. I, I think he may be a genuine believer. I don't know if he's an actual charlatan that knows there's no God and he's just bullshitting. But he people. gives it away. He gives it all up at the end he, just for money. Just. At the promise, at the suggestion that Daniel he would. He didn't want to say that, though. I think he was forced. He was forced to say that. He did not want to even say and that. And he didn't out do loud. it publicly either. It was yeah. sort of in a private moment with Daniel. But yeah. I, I, I mean, he did. I mean, I, I think it, he he's mo- probably mostly afraid of saying it out loud because if he does say it out loud, it might be true, right? Right. Well, and it gives the game away. I mean, his whole facade is a believer. So to expose that you're not, you lose all your armor. So it's very, uh, from a survivalist standpoint, it's it's critical that he keeps that facade up. Yeah. And Um, at the end, he lets it down because he's so desperate for help that he is willing to compromise and maybe let that armor down that, I don't know, I personally think was never real. I think, you know, I think that's it's possible. I think that's the question. Yeah. And I think that it works e- I think it works either way. But you're you're I mean, yeah, we don't see PT yeah. PT seems pretty pissed off at the church. I mean, it only <laughs> comes off as being pissed off at the church in this movie. And I think that's fair and that's fine. It's a very political movie and the church has manipulated politics in a huge way. So I think it makes sense that he's angry. But I think Back to your question of, like, did Eli work hard? He had to have worked hard. How did he have the trust of all of these people? Or how did, you know, obviously the stories that he was telling was somehow helping them. Like, we don't really see those stories, but he was doing something to help these people coach through life. Like, he was getting them through somehow. Like, he was providing hope or or something. You know, there was something good. Otherwise, people wouldn't... If nothing else, a sense of community. Yeah. But there's also the the work he put in, and it's not manual labor, but the shrewd politicking, politicking, and then just even uh, negotiating with Daniel, who is yeah. a frightening character. Oh, yeah. And he's willing to go toe to toe to get his church built and all the things he had his agenda. Yeah. Pushed. Yeah. Yeah. They were he's symbiotic for pressure. a while. Yeah. Yeah. And so I mean, he's obviously also an extremely determined person. Yeah. So I guess the question is who's who's more determined and maybe the end of the movie is the answer. I don't know. Yeah, yeah he didn't hesitate to walk right up to Daniel right before he got mud shoved in his face. He just walked right yeah. up to Daniel in front of his men, Fletcher and those guys, yeah. and just said you still owe us five thousand dollars. Yeah. When are, when are we going to see that five thousand dollars? And you know, for his Smack efforts, he gets humiliated. You know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Eli also shows signs of being very materialistic as well, and I think that that pendant around his neck at the in the yeah. in the final confrontation, very flashy, very Creflo dollar. You know, he, he mm-hmm. actually he actually kind of falls apart. I think he, you know he says like I've made deals with the devil. You know, he's like <laughs> yeah, he's been <laughs> sinful. He's yeah. been sinful. He's done things he never thought he would do. And, I am a sinner. Yeah, he says yeah. some of the things that he knows that he made. Uh, Daniel Plainview say much earlier, you know, because he's like, oh, my God, like me now, I need forgiveness and my forgiveness needs to come in the form of money. <laughs> right. <laughs> because I, the I Lord ain't as, providing me money right now. I, I think it is money. extremely disingenuous. It's that apology you say because you need something, not yeah. because you truly feel any remorse or regret. Which Plainview's genius about. He just draws that uh-huh. out. He's like, uh-huh. why are you here? Is business okay? And he's yeah. like, yeah, business is good. And then, yeah. and then he's finally like, business is not good. Right, right. <laughs> you could have just killed him right on the spot. If he knew, he's like, in 10 minutes, I'm going to kill him, but I want to enjoy this part. Oh, he toys yeah. with him like, yeah. like a cat with a mouse. I mean, totally. makes him renounce God. Yep. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it, and just... <laughs> <laughs> you know, the whole milkshake speech? Oh, uh, it's just the milkshake speech is one of the best Absolutely. Wonderful. Like, hey, if you have a milkshake, and I have a milkshake, and I have a straw, there it is. That's a straw, you see. Watching. My straw reaches across the room and starts to drink your milkshake. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up! Don't bully me, Daniel! Wonderful. Uh, <laughs> if you didn't get it already, like, I'm drinking yeah. your water. I'm. <laughs> he just keeps going. I think my favorite scene of the movie might be the the one where Eli gets him in church and, yeah. I've abandoned my boy. That that whole thing is just, give wow. me the blood and let me, get me, get, get me away. I just He's just flat out saying, let me get out of here. And I noticed something because I had closed captioning on that I'd never noticed before. In the middle of all that, when there's just this religious fervor going on in that room and he's... He's, you know, declaring that he's an, an evil sinner and he's abandoned his boy. And after he says it, he flat out, no one notices it. He says, there's my pipeline or something like that. He oh, flat yeah, out, no, he uh, says it. Yeah. He flat out says it in front of everyone, but no one really <laughs> Under catches his it. breath. Yeah, it's like, yeah, there's I'm, my pipeline. <laughs> I've got my pipeline or something like that. Right. Like, I've done what I need to do. Now give me my pipeline. Oh, and he's and so happy at that point. that last scene is just payback. That last scene is just payback oh, yeah. for that thing that happened 15, 16 years earlier. Like, he Absolutely. carried that with him all this that time. This is a time. dude, and I can relate a little bit, um, something I'm working on personally, but I can hold a grudge longer than I should, you know? Yeah. And I can relate to that person who just just cannot let it go. Their, their ego is so powerful that that slight will never, it has to be uh, dealt with. And, like, I think of one of the scenes that stuck out to me that I love, I don't remember all what was said, but... They're at that restaurant. He's with HW, and there's mm. the other prospectors. Yes. The the bigger oil companies are coming in, and right. they try to like play nice or something with him, and he's just not having it. And because they they turned down a deal or something with him previously, right? And yeah. that was the slight that Union now he's, Oil, I believe, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his reaction to these people being fairly reasonable, 
was just it was that ego that just is out they're, of yeah. control. They're very polite. They were very polite to him. They they offer him a great deal on one piece of land and they're like 150,000. He's like, "You got it." Like he almost lasts them. Like yeah. he's, he's like, "Oh my gosh, okay, I'm good." And then they try to get his land from there in that area where it's essentially an ocean of oil mm. um that Plainview has, you know, gobbled up right. all of that land. They try to buy that from him for a million dollars, and they're like, we'll make him a millionaire right here. You can go take care of your son. And he says no, Mm. because he knows it's worth way more than that. Right. But at that point, he has no way to get it out of there. His son is nowhere near him, and they're like, is your son okay? So they're trying to play that against him a little bit. And I think that's where he really shows that, like, oh, he has so much guilt around abandoning hw already and they like are Mm. trying i think they are genuinely trying to be kind to him um by saying is your son okay like you could take this money and take care of your kid like what am i gonna do with a million dollars if i take a million dollars i'll have nothing to do for the rest of my life because that would make him you know for the rest of his life he he needs a mission with dollars at that time yeah but he's like no like i'm like just pinching every penny so greedy unable to like he's like if i can just make this pipeline and that's the point where he says no to that deal and he's like he has to make that pipeline as a businessman though was he right was he he... was absolutely right sure yeah as a businessman like that's the reason he's in that mansion at the end of the movie Mm -hmm. if he would have sold then he would be in a slightly smaller mansion that maybe without a bowling alley (laughs) no they probably would have had a bowling alley gigantic (laughs) empty (laughs) this <laughs> loveless mansion Eggs. with no one in it nobody except but, for I mean, a paid servant in oh, there yeah. firing rifles or pistols or something yeah at the he's end shooting of it. his yeah stuff and having a yeah. picnic in the middle of his bowling alley yeah, yeah. i wish they i wish i want to know if the the housemaid service person whatever who, who worked there what their reaction was coming down to the bowling room like what or was, it's like, oh, yeah, it's Tuesday. He, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he killed <laughs> he, somebody. He bludgeons somebody yeah, with a bowling pin. He, right. he murders nemeses on Tuesdays. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even as, as horrible as that was, what happened to Eli, man, fuck Eli. God, I hated that you. guy, man. Yeah. I, I hated Eli's guts. I've heard people criticize Paul Dano's performance in this movie, but I, I cannot imagine the movie without him now. I, I can't oh, yeah. imagine. I know, loved him in it. I thought it was great too. You know, I've heard people say that he can't really go toe to toe with Daniel Day Lewis, but I mean, come on, who's who's gonna who sure. can? Sure. Yeah, I thought Paul Dano was great. Yeah, Paul Dano was he he has a weirdness to him. Yeah. It, it is like a you can't. Yeah, he's like elfish and that he doesn't age. <laughs> but then there's just when he ex- delivers like extremely emotional lines and he kind of like screams in a really shrill way. It is shrill. very unsettling. It's almost uh, it's almost feminine the way he the way he yeah. shrieks. Even the yeah. first time he and Plainview meet, uh, there he comes forward and is just like, "Hey," just set to say hi, and he has this like you feel it, it yeah. this like spiritual energy to him or something. Like no. he has this big energy, and I think yeah, that's right when he says we're going to bring milk or whatever when they're yeah, camping, well, when, yeah. they're, when they're quote unquote quail hunting. And I think that's commonly he just has this like demeanor to him, a confidence, mm-hmm. a you know, uh, and it's a lot of what you see in Plainview as well. Like both of them work really well with not saying too much. Like right. they they put out this is what I'm standing on, and it like stops there. It's like it's yeah, like oh yeah. my gosh, they like, just okay. demand they demand everybody else's attention. And they're like, this is what I want, and it's like no, okay, bye, yeah. <laughs> I'm out. Yeah, I'll come back later and I'll get that. 
<laughs> this is pretty much the only film of Paul Thomas Anderson's, I think, that I can think of off the top of my head that just doesn't have anybody from his uh, his actors, like his his stable that oh, really? he, he typically uses. Uh, uh, yeah. Maybe Inherent Vice. I don't remember too many of those guys in, in Inherent Vice either. Yeah. But he didn't really use, I mean, you know, we've got Saren Hines playing Fletcher, his right-hand man. Yeah. I like that guy a lot, but I'm a big fan of Rome, and he played Julius Caesar. Oh, nice. Ah, okay. okay, great. Yeah. He's perfect in this. I mean, he's such just like a nothing character. He's a pawn to plain view, essentially. Like. Yeah, there's only one, two. There's two oners in this movie. P.T. Anderson is, of course, known for his single-take shots. Yeah. There's the one set piece in the film when uh, the old Derek goes up. That's, and when Daniel that's, that's my grabs HW yeah. and starts running and that music kicks yeah, in yeah. and it's that really long take and it's great. But there's a very, like, almost, it's a very subtle, you don't even notice it's a wonder When Paul Sunday first knocks on the door and approaches him with his deal, the camera's right there on Paul Sunday. It's Paul Dano's face. Yeah. He knocks and you hear off screen, you hear um, Daniel talking to him. Then the camera pulls back. There's about three or four different frames that they are, you know, framing devices that they use just in that one shot. Yeah. And it's really, it comes down to the power dynamic in that conversation. Who's got the power and the, it, it all shifts. The, yeah. the camera moves around to show you exactly who's top dog right now in the conversation. Yeah. And there's mm-hmm. that wonderful scene where, um, or that wonderful moment in it when Paul Sunday Basically, he says something like, and we finally see Fletcher in between the two of them, and he's smoking a cigarette, and Paul says something like, I would appreciate it if you didn't think I was stupid. Mm. I would appreciate it if you didn't treat me like I was stupid. And Siren Hines Fletcher is pulling off of his cigarette, and just he just looks over. He just flicks his eyes over at Daniel just to gauge his reaction, like, how is he going to react to this kid pushing back? It's wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful I get the stuff. I get the impression that da- Daniel Plainview respected Paul a lot more than Eli, and he says as much later, right? He kind yeah. of says he was the smart one. He was, you're, Yeah, you're just the afterbirth. Right. Slithered out of your old mother's <laughs> filth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which, also, that could just be him saying exactly what he knows will completely destroy sure. Eli, but, sure. I mean, he kills him a moment later, so I guess it doesn't really matter. He's psychologically and physically dead at this point. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I do. I Paul in that scene, he's the one who really does go toe to toe with with Plainview, like absolutely. Like, and there at the end, he's like, uh, "I'm getting out of here." He's like, "No, you should stay." He's like, "No, I'm leaving." Like, yeah, he's, he's just, like, "I've made this deal, and I got to get out." I think I, the way he puts it is, "I want to leave tonight." Yeah, <laughs> I want to leave tonight. Exactly. Yeah. I'm getting out of here. Yeah, he goes toe to toe with him, and he earns the respect of Daniel Plainview right there. Absolutely. And there. Yeah. So pl- yeah, Plainview is like trying to trick him into giving him the location. He's like, "So like, where, where did you, you come in from?" He's <laughs> like, "I'm not going to tell you that." He's like, "How much land did they buy?" You know, he could look up like land sale information and. Just just like know right. exactly where it's at and he's like I'd appreciate it if you didn't think I was stupid yeah and that's so what Sarah like, Hines throws his eyes over at Daniel like hmm <laughs> yeah it's like it's really really smart yeah, yeah great writing smart characters yeah, yeah it's hard to write it's smart a characters. wonderful one or two you don't even notice it's a one or he keeps changing the way everything is framed throughout it yeah. there's a nice slow push in in the middle of it wonderful stuff <laughs> absolutely the scene when the just before the oil derrick explodes, that's such a beautiful one as well. You start all wide on the whole thing, and you slowly zoom in on, like, the drill, and then you that's start right. to see that rope, like, yeah. vibrate. But that 
leading into that is also such a beautiful one shot and then immediately after that's another huge one shot of running and like blowing so, up and fire and oh my gosh that's so how did they do that i know that pt anderson is a big believer in not using a lot of digital effects but that oil just the the gas eruption out of it first the thing that basically deafens hw knocks him yeah back. yeah and then the the gusher when the camera is right there next to it looking up mm-hmm. yeah I, I mean that looks real to me and i, I don't know i for the life of me i can't figure out huh. how they did it right all of that oil stuff like in like pumping out of that pipe in that big old pond of it's like oh my god i hope they didn't like make a pond of oil for the film <laughs> yeah i remember looking at that and thinking yeah there's something environmental going on here there's, yeah. there's a message here uh, yeah <laughs> yeah I, I i don't know how they did some of that it was that huge, whole thing and then the explosion and the, the thing lights up huge set the pieces. whole derrick goes up in flames it's beautiful shots the silhouettes of the guys looking up yeah. at yeah I have no idea how they did it. The scale of that filmmaking is like, yeah, it's out there, man. This might be his masterpiece. I mean, I, I do prefer Boogie Nights. Yeah. But, yeah. man, this one's nipping at its heels. It's yeah. there's, there's a formalism at work here that's just on full display, and it's just In the line wonderful. of, like, a film like Chinatown, we're talking about natural resources and how that shapes kind of society, mm-hmm. like, and right. how our modern society is really, like, at the whim of the control of that. Like, yeah, right. it's... It's a huge conversation he's having. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't hear your uh, podcast on Boogie Nights. Did you draw any major conclusions? Uh, was it as, I guess, uh, the themes he was touching on, were they as lofty and heavy? Uh, is It's this family, father, surrogate fathers, just people making family for themselves. Gosh, what, it's it's really Paul Thomas Anderson's themes right there at the beginning. Right. Was, uh, but not touching on major political themes and no. bigger yeah. no i don't think we got really yeah too far into that um i don't know where boogie nights would fit into that yeah i mean it was it's just the end of one era and the beginning right. of another and people trying to cling to it and i don't think there's any direct correlation there i think this is more just familial with boogie night yeah certainly not as political as this one this one's uh and the thing is you can just watch there will be blood and, and just appreciate the narrative for what it is yeah but the subtext is right there this is the story of america told through daniel plainview in, in a way right he's sort of the avatar in for biblical Afri- proportions yeah absolutely <laughs> i read that <laughs> biblical proportions i love that <laughs> it works we got able those are big right yeah yeah exactly you got murder you got betrayal they're almost like brothers in a way he does murder his fake brother i don't know maybe i'm grasping at straws there no there no there's it's a story of yeah brothers because even like when uh eli comes in he's like brother eli starts that whole conversation in the bowling Mm. alley with brother and he's like you know we're we're family through he does say that he's as as he's being chased around with a bowling pin. He says, "Even again, we're family." Yes, he says, "We're family." Uh-huh. Like, where did he get that from? That's such horseshit. They've hated each other <laughs> the, from the moment they've met. They've hated each other. I, I mean, I hey, think you he's, can hate members of your family. Yeah, sure. I think he's going after <laughs> brothers of Christ, but also he's looking for a brother in like, hey, we've both taken advantage of a lot of people. We have history. We we know each other. Like help me now. Like they yeah. do know each other in ways that other people don't. I suppose. Yeah, and he's like he even makes a reference like leading into this uncertain financial time because it's like 1927. So we're right, right, right before on the, the crash. Cusp. Yeah, yeah. Of do you the think they Great both, Depression? Do you think they both sized each other up at the same time? Like when they first met? I mean, Daniel seems like he's as cynical as they come. So he probably 
knew instantly that, that yeah Eli was I full hate shit. you yeah, but I wonder exactly. if, if Eli and Eli didn't seem very trusting either from the get go so they probably I wonder if they just knew yeah, yeah I got the I got the impression that when Eli went out to the the, the quail encampment. Uh, to just tell him, you know, we'll be bringing milk or whatever mm. out. I, th- I got the feeling that he was sizing him up, too. Yeah, he was. Yep. Yeah, because he, he knew there, that there's oil out there. Yeah. They, they've seen seepage, and there was an earthquake out there before. And that's where the conversation starts. He's like, I yeah. want this land just for, like, oh, he quail says prices. up on the hill. Yeah, he's like, they want oil prices. I'm going to give them quail prices. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, his nice way of telling HW, I'm going to fuck these people. Oh, you know, yeah. These are, these are yokels. and Exactly. Uh, and then he tries to offer them quail prices, and, like, immediately Eli's like, no, there's oil here. He's like, yeah. I went ten thousand dollars outright, and that's like immediately they're seeing eye to eye. Right, you know, they immediately hate each other. Yeah, <laughs> that's the Eli standing knew. in the way. That's when Daniel knew who he was negotiating with. He's not negotiating with Abel. Yeah, exactly. No, Abel's a fool. <laughs> <laughs> a weak, a weak fool, weak no. and stupid fool. <laughs> right, smacked around by his own son in front of the rest of his family. Thank goodness. Shameful. Right. That scene felt a lot like the scene when, when Daniel puts Eli into the mud. Like just the yeah. unnecessary nature of it. And well, it was, Oh, it's immediately following. Yeah. He's still covered yeah. in that mud at the dinner right. table. That's yeah, right. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, I think he is. He's like, like, he's like I'm pissed because of that. So yeah. I'm going to. I'm going to hand it off. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. This is just going to keep going. Yeah. That's exactly what that is. Yeah. He was still fuming over it. Right, that, that that shot at the dinner table. It's like the camera's right in the middle of the dinner table, just looking straight into his face and just mud. I think one <laughs> of the one of the saddest and most like revealing scenes in the movie is when his quote unquote brother shows up and they're talking outside of the house and HW is sleeping inside. But they're talking outside and they're they're getting drunk. And I think Plainview finally really lets go of some of his like personal truths on how he sees the world. Like he's he's just like, you know what? I hate everybody I hate people. around me. <laughs> I see the I worst ha- in people. I see the worst in yeah. people. Uh, like I hate people more and more every day. Like I don't want to be around anybody. I just want to make enough money and run away. I hate most people. I look at people and I see nothing worth liking. I want to earn enough money I can get away from everyone. I don't know. I see the worst in people, Henry. I don't need to look past seeing them to get all I need. I I think he's just so full of hate and regret and just like yeah. trying to escape it all and he really lets lets that go and then he says but you know what this is this is like a little bit of hope like i'm glad that you're here hmm. he's actually happy that he has somebody in it with him for just a moment and he's like oh and and that that felt true that it, felt real I, it was true man yeah yeah yeah. Maybe that was that. That was that glimmer of hope, his chance. And then when he realized he was being betrayed. Yeah, right. he was being manipulated for money. Yeah. yeah. The look on his face right before he murders him, when he finally gets the guy to admit 
right? Yeah. He's not who he is. And it cuts to that shot of Daniel looking down at him, and one of his eyes is way more open than the other one, <laughs> and he's just fuming. It's oh man, just what a performance! Yeah, yeah. What do you think is going through his head right now <laughs> to, to pull that off? Murder, murder, <laughs> murder. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know much about Daniel Day Lewis's process, but uh, and I haven't even seen all of his work, but that that his. Yeah, Daniel Plainview, that character and what he did is so competitive. Part of the fun of watching this movie, it's uh, (laughs) to invoke Tarantino yet again. It's like watching Jackie Brown, where you're not quite (laughs) sure who Jackie is playing, whether she's on the up and up or if she's on the take. You're not sure if she's a hero or not. It's kind of the same way with Daniel Plainview, except is he just a bastard or is he a true villain? I mean, he's at best an antihero. Uh, of course, by the end of it, he, he no, he's he's a villainous son of a bitch. He's oh yeah, he's an he's, evil man consumed by hatred. Yes, and, yeah. and even during that scene that you were just talking about, when he says, "I you know I see the worst in people," he even flat out says, "It's not enough for me to win. Like I have to make sure everyone else loses." Exactly, so yeah. competitive. Like yeah. those guys trying to buy that land for a million dollars. He's like, "I cannot do right. that. Yeah. That's not me winning." But I can, well, it's no. me winning, but it's not you losing. Yeah, exactly. Right, so that doesn't count. And he's like, he's like, oh yeah, what are you gonna do about transportation? And they're like, well, we'll have to pay to have it, you know, shipped out of here on trains. And he's like, you own the trains, you know. He's right. like, you bastards trying to act like you don't own the trains. And he's yeah. like, no, we're like fuck you. I'm not gonna sell this to you. Hence I'm gonna like, line. I'm gonna like slit your necks in the in the night. I'm gonna come yeah. to your house where you sleep and they're like, what are you talking about? Right. Have you lost your mind? Like, we just wanted to give you money, dude. Threatens to murder him and yeah. then drinks his whiskey and walks away. Oh yeah, we haven't talked about his his alcohol problem yet. Yeah, oh, yeah. He, he goes on benders. In fact, after the murder, after he murders Henry, he gets drunk all by himself, passes out, and old man Bandy, yeah. who he blew off way earlier in the movie, I'm not going to go see this guy to try to buy yeah. his track, yeah. is sitting over him. I don't want your money. He's like, why don't you come to my church? I'll give you 3000 He's like, no, we want you to be a member of the church. He's like, 5000 5, <laughs> He's like, no, you need to be washed in the blood of Christ because you need to be forgiven for your sin. And he's like, what sin? Drilling. And then he just hands him the pistol and he doesn't say a word. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Mm. It's like he knew. Like, yeah. But he's not going to snitch. Yeah, that's the wild <laughs> Old west. man Bandy's not snitching. Yeah. <laughs> and judging by first his appearances, old man Bandy doesn't quite look like the church going man, but yeah, he's he's, he a, he's a fully devout, yeah, he's, born again Christian. He's right there in that scene when uh, Eli just humiliates yeah. Daniel. Ah, oh, that's wonderful. That actor is amazing too. You really see like when he talks about the church and when he talks about like his face just lights up, the wrinkles lift out mm-hmm. of his face. And he's you know, a grizzled he, man. Yeah, he yeah. you can see like the acting, it's like, wow, yeah, this man truly believes. This brings him happiness. This yeah. is like goodness. Like, yeah. The drinking was sort of um it, it was disturbing a little bit. Like some of the way that the ways that they pulled it up they shot it and, and set it up like especially at the end when he's like taking slugs out of some big glass bottle of vodka or something like that yeah it's just is so, that vodka or is that water what's he going for i assumed there? it was i assumed it was white liquor, liquor. Yeah. yeah dang and yeah it was labeled on the side so yeah but yeah. it was just so it, like it didn't look enjoyable it looked awful you're just like oh that's it's yeah. just where I'm at now. I'm in yeah, a big empty house. At. I don't even want to enjoy pistols being down the hallway. And yeah, right. he was drunkenly passed out there in the bowling alley, and he wakes up and he's like smacking his head. You know, just like his. Oh my gosh, 
Yeah. So where does this movie uh, fit? I'm not going to ask you to rank Paul Thomas Anderson films, but uh, is this like an upper tier, a mid tier? For me, yeah, it's it's absolutely it's my favorite I've seen of his. Is that um, right? Yeah, and it's one of my favorite movies that I've seen. Um, I've only seen it probably three times. It's not like one I just want to keep watching. No, sure. yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a draining experience. Right. It, it is a masterpiece, but it's it's but an for, piece. for only seeing yeah. it a few times, like so much of it stuck with me, and I haven't been able to forget it. So it's remarkable. I love it. Yeah, top tier. What about you? You know, for, uh, I, I like it. It came out the same year as No Country for Old Men. Ooh, and you know, oh, that yeah. that yeah. really, like, yeah, that really messed with my head. Uh, <laughs> because uh, No Country for Old Men had enough, I think, separatism and, like, uh, a little more out there. It's like, what is going That's on? That's a fantastic movie. I love. A fantastic love, love, love year for Coen. villains oh, in film. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Love Coen Brothers. I think this movie just hurts me so bad <laughs> that I'm adverse to it. Like, it's not as playful as, as his other movies at all. It no. is just like, look, I'm going to smack you upside the face, smack you upside the face. This is going to be one hell of a goddamn show. And, yeah, it's like, oh, it hurts. So, you know, for me, I, yeah, I, I can't rank it. And uh, sure. Touched a nerve. Yeah, but it is, like we're saying, that's, that's what a masterpiece is. Like... Uh, it's it's something that makes you think about the way the world works, and so yeah, it, it's it is a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. It's right up there with Boogie Nights with me. I mean, it's it maybe right below it. Boogie Nights is just a fun watch. You know, I tend to watch it at least once a year. It's like a ride at this point for me. Right. But There Will Be Blood is is certainly when I want to watch a you know capital C cinema you know a film. Yeah, you know, that's uh, yeah. How it, did they have the camera itch. out there in those muddy fields doing these big sweeping like smooth shots that look like they're on a big old jib on a dolly? Like, yeah. what in the world? No they idea. had like you don't think about the video production when you watch this movie. It's so like seamless. I right. mean, there's a couple like maybe dolly like bumps or jitters that it's like, oh wow, they filmed this. You know, <laughs> this wasn't just magically created, but. Was it? It was digital, right? Or was, did they? Did, I'm pretty no. sure it is film. That he's film grain is its always own character. Okay. Yeah. He hates it. He's one of those big proponents of. I film. thought so. Okay. He, Tarantino, and Nolan, I think, are like the three modern guys that are still carrying that torch. Got it. I can listen to those guys talk about it, and I'm like, yeah, that's exactly right. 24 frames a second through light projected on a wall. That's the shit. That's that's <laughs> that's that way and no other way. But then if I hear David Fincher talk about digital filmmaking, he's just as compelling it's, sure. it's like you know yeah your films are fucking great too so i right you know it's to each his own it's just a different a different medium almost yeah it's a different, different limitation yeah. like in a sense like whatever your tool is well as an, Fincher as needs an digital i think he, he's yeah. he's noted for doing 30 to 50 takes oh yeah like mm. for little I things hear, like yeah. oh, really? a guy just putting his cell phone down like just over <laughs> and over and over and over again but then so, on, in his movie he's gonna add digital film grain in the end sure. that way it looks like there's actually film grain on it because it's what we consume we all yeah. know this and so yeah to make your Ari look great you're gonna add some film grain over the top that way it looks like film yeah. <laughs> like yeah, so I'm I'm pretty sure that was all. Yeah, that's all film with Paul Thomas Anderson. No, yeah, no digital stuff allowed. On, on his you side, you I think. feel it a couple times, like in the train. There's almost like even like a, a flicker in the gate or something. And mm-hmm. ah, it's no. There's beautiful textures to yeah. film. Absolutely, I love it. Um, a happy accident. I'm sure it was an accident. I can't imagine this being done on purpose. But right there at the end, when he's throwing bowling balls, 
And oh, when it splashes on it the splashes camera? on the camera, he hits oh, that bucket yeah, or yeah. something, and the water just—it's just a perfect shot. It's like, man, if they planned that, that had to be—I <laughs> I can't imagine that being planned. That—that that had nah. to be a happy accident. I do not know. I mean, you can kind of tell that Paul Dano like drags his foot that way he can get hit. It's like you could have gotten out of the way of that, you <laughs> preacher loser. <laughs> you took that on for no, I don't know. Trying to be a martyr over there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Oh man. So, uh is there anything about this movie that you guys don't like? Anything that just stands out as uh, I, I I don't I'm I'm gonna go ahead and just say right out the gate I don't I'm, like I looking like at the darkness of humanity so I hate it No I'm just <laughs> I love looking at the darkness of humanity it's how else are we gonna sort this thing out uh, Yeah I can't think of anything yeah, wrong with it It just makes me jealous of Paul Thomas Anderson's career Oh yeah <laughs> I mean he was I guess early 30s when he made this maybe mid yeah. Wow Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, one of the things. What have we accomplished with our lives? (laughs) One of the things I caught this time around was like, there's these beautiful sunsets, like cotton candy clouds, Mm. like just Mm -hmm. like the colors are unbelievable. But every time you see that, there's also a source of black smoke belching, like black Uh, over the top of it. In the first time, it's like the train going by is like just pumping coal, just like destroying your view of these cotton candy clouds. Later on, it's like the oil on fire mm-hmm. and there's like a few other moments where it just is this black smoke covering up this thing polluting and otherwise beautiful scene yeah you know, not unlike the big uh crater full of oil yeah out there in the desert yeah yeah there's some tough things to look at that are kind of oh man there's a, a great scene in the the coen brothers film the uh collective about the wild west did you guys see that one yeah yeah um uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Oh, I didn't see yeah. it. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a scene, I think it's Tom Waits. He's like panning for gold. It's great. Perfect casting. Yeah, the prospector. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of a similar scene, you know, where you're seeing like America at this state of like, we're just figuring out how to find this and right. digging this one little hole puts this little mar on the earth, you know, yeah. and that's kind of where Daniel Day-Lewis starts at the beginning of this film is like putting this one little hole, digging up some silver and then... Look where this grows to. Yeah, and then he gets it, starts it up on an industrial level almost. Yeah. He gets that good at it. Yeah, absolutely. Fucking up the landscape. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, I think we're pretty much here at the end, right? I kind of feel it. I think we've been at it about an hour. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel? Um, Anything you wanted to touch on that we haven't? uh, One of the things I found really disturbing in that big scene leading up to the oil derrick explosion uh, his son gets blown away. You know, he loses his hearing. He knows that his son loses his hearing and he has to run out there and like try to take care of the fire. And he's out there like, why do you have this bummed out look on your face to his partner? He's like, this is great news. We have an ocean of oil under us. And he's just like laughing maniacally. He's so happy about this. Meanwhile, the guy's like, is your son okay? Yeah, he says, where's HW? He says, mess room. And Fletcher immediately goes to be with HW. Camera stays right there on Daniel, just smiling his ass off, looking at that money. As hell burns in front of him. Like, I yeah, think that was one of the first like, tells that he doesn't give a shit about HW. Yeah. I yeah. mean, Fletcher, Fletcher's mind was on the kid. Yeah. And he ran he straight to him. him. Yeah. yeah. He ran straight to the kid when he found out where he was. And the camera just stays right there on Daniel, Oof. just staring at the at that money. That's you know? rough. Yeah. Guys, I think that's about it, right? I think we've done it. Feels How do you feel? Great. It feels good. Yeah, yeah. Feels good. Okay. I got good out talk. all my all my aggressions. Yeah. <laughs> 
Man, it was great. Uh, thanks for coming back, Caleb. Much obliged. Absolutely. Drew, it was great to meet you, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you guys coming. All right. Thank you. Enjoyed it. All right, Thank thanks. That wraps it up. As usual, I want to thank my guests, Caleb Dirks and Drew Hammond. I'd also like to thank Will Fox, Ross Warner, and Michael Leeds. Filmography Club is produced right here in Nashville, Tennessee by the always hardworking folks that we own this town. And as a part of the We Own This Town family of podcasts, I'd like to recommend one of those podcasts to you, the newest in the family, Ladyland. Host Kim Baldwin interviews women from all walks of life and various backgrounds. So if in-depth, interesting interviews are your thing, please check out Ladyland, available everywhere podcasts are available. Join me next episode when my guest will be the always delightful Becky Delius as we discuss Paul Thomas Anderson's sixth film, one of my personal favorites, 2012's The Master. Thanks for listening.